Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to Unbud with Josh Morani. Today I'm going to talk about the Packers making Jair Alexander the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL, the Dolphins adding Melvin Ingram. Then I'm going to go over my top 10 teams in the NFL by tier. Uh, and to me, this isn't really parody of the NFL. It's really, to me, pretty front-loaded right now. Then I'm going to get into the NBA. Giannis, best player on the planet, lost. His team lost. What is next for them uh, moving forward? Then I was an advocate for Suns and Seven. That's what I've been saying, but Suns lost in Seven. A truly embarrassing performance by then. I get into that. And then the Maple Leafs continue their losing ways, and I unleash on my Penguins, who choked away a 3-1 series lead. All that and more on today's podcast. So let's start with new news that actually Drew Brees is considering a comeback to the NFL. Uh, He tweeted out saying, he doesn't know what he's going to do yet uh, with his future. Uh, he could step away from, you know, NBC. Not the greatest commentator in the world. Don't mind him as an analyst, but as a commentator, not a fan of him. So he said he could, you know, continue to work for NBC. He could play football again. Or he might focus on other things like uh, business and philanthropy, but he's undecided. So, what sparked Drew Brees coming back? Well, I think it's what the Saints have done in free agency and in the draft. Uh, You know, before he tweeted that, uh, he tweeted that, you know, Signing Jarvis Landry and Tyran Matthew makes him want to come back and play again. And when you look at it, when he left, this was a team without weapons that Michael Thomas was injured. Now Michael Thomas could finally be back healthy, who has a clear rapport with Drew Brees. Drafted Chris Olave, who is a tremendous wide receiver out of Ohio State. Signed Jarvis Landry, that's a good wide receiver Corvair. Drafted an offensive lineman to replace Armstead, so it's not totally weak up front. And then, you know, they signed Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. It's two premier safeties. Already have Marshawn Lattimore. So the biggest question mark on that team is really the quarterback. So it makes sense that Drew Brees wants to come back. But I don't think that he should. He does not want this smoke. Why, last time we saw Drew Brees play, he could not throw the ball down the field. He could not air it out 50, 40 yards anymore. He just could not do it. He was great in the short intermediate passing game. He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. But when we saw him Last against the Buccaneers, he looked lost, befuddled, 
bamboozled. I mean, he did not look like the same Drew Brees. He did not hit the downfield route. So it makes sense for, you know, the route running tree that Michael Thomas runs, Jarvis Landry runs, Chris Olave. It works to the strengths of Drew Brees. But when they need, you know, Drew to air it out, he can't do that. And I don't think defenses at this point, Drew Brees is 43 and he's not Tom Brady. It's not, you know, him retiring, unretiring, like Tom Brady, where the last time we saw Tom Brady, he came back from a 27-3 deficit to tie the game at 27-all and was airing the ball out 50 yards to Mike Evans and led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. That's the last time we saw Tom Brady when he retired, then he came back. Last time we saw Drew Brees, he was neither of those. He was a slowly descending quarterback. It wasn't the fall off a cliff type of guy, but he was a descending quarterback in terms of still great accuracy out of the pocket, but he's not a mobile guy and he can't throw the ball down the field. So the safeties are going to creep up a little bit and it's up to the wide receivers to make teams miss. So if I'm Drew Brees, I'm not coming back because Tom Brady is in my division. I've got to compete with him. I know it's a weak NFC. you still got the Rams uh, and 49ers. But if I am the Saints, or if, I mean, if I'm Drew Brees, I'm not doing this. And if I'm the Saints, I'm not doing it either. Because you were 5-2 and two with Jameis Winston. You beat the Bucks. He tears his ACL. And you probably would have made the playoffs. Instead, you had Taysom Hill, who's not a true quarterback, and Trevor Simeon, who's a quarterback but is not a good one. I believe that Jameis Winston was healthy the full way through. They make it to the playoffs. They don't. I ride with Jameis Winston. If I was the Saints, I probably would have drafted a Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, for my quarterback. But you can't change that. Uh, so if I'm the Saints, I don't want um, Drew Brees. I prefer Jameis Winston because he can throw the ball down the field. Not as accurate, not as poised, not the leader that Drew Brees is. But I don't think this is something that Drew Brees should revisit or that the Saints should revisit. Now moving on to Jair Alexander. Packers make him the highest paid cornerback, a four-year, $84 million extension. New Deal averages $21 million per year. Uh, also gets a defensive back record signing bonus of $30 million. Uh, this pays him more than Denzel Ward, who just got a new contract that pays him $20.3 million per year. And Jalen Ramsey, who was making $20 million per year. So Jair was great, uh, you know, between 2018 to 2020, uh, 42 pass breakups, which was the fourth most to last year, uh, missed most of the season due to injury, but the Packers love him. He's a shutdown cornerback. I'm wary of injuries and cornerbacks. I wouldn't have paid him this much money, but the Packers have the money because they don't got their wide receiver in Devontae anymore. 
and uh, you know the offense lags depth, so why not shelter and shove money on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, and you got to pay somebody, so makes sense for the Packers. Then the Dolphins signed uh, Melvin Ingram, outside linebacker, edge rusher, to uh, bolster the pass rush. I thought this was a great deal. I thought he was, you know, fit right in with the Kansas City Chiefs, had a good role there, you know, wasn't playing great with the Steelers. He gets tra- or he gets released in the Chiefs and kind of reinvigorates himself. Uh, so hopefully that continues over with the Dolphins because the Dolphins can definitely use uh, pass rushers. So if Melvin Ingram can just give you what he gave the Chiefs, I think this can be a very nice addition for the Miami Dolphins. This is not a game-changing addition or, you know, respected defense now, but this is just a nice veteran depth piece for the Miami Dolphins. And then the Falcons sign Geronimo Allison, uh, former wide receiver for Green Bay, uh, who was there for four years, caught 89 balls for 1,045 yards, six touchdowns. Then he signed with the Lions in 2020, uh, but he opted out of the season due to COVID-19. And then last year only appeared in three games uh, and, you know, didn't record a catch. So he's been out of the league basically uh, for two years. So, you know, we'll see how this fit works for them. Uh, it's just, to me, added depth on the Falcons uh, chart because we drafted Drake London. They just traded for Byron Edwards uh, for the Raiders. And then, you know, they have Auden Tate and Zacchaeus. So this is forming, you know, a really nice uh, receiver core behind Drake London. I don't think they have a, a two wide receiver, but they do have a couple of threes now in Edwards and, a, you know, Zacchaeus and maybe a fourth in Allison. So, you know, it'll be nice to evaluate Marcus Mariota. I don't need to do any evaluation on him anymore because I don't think he is – of a real deal. I think the Falcons will tank, and I think they are looking for the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud sweepstakes. I think they want to enter that chat, and they're doing that by uh, sticking by Marcus Mariota as their quarterback. Now moving on to my top 10 teams in the NFL. My first three are coin flip teams. That is the tier they are on because I think one week they can be really hot. One week, you know, they might not show up. Uh, honorable mention that I wanted to put here but just couldn't bring myself to do it was the Dallas Cowboys uh, because they do have a tough, you know, schedule. You know, this is now factored in to my rankings is the schedule as well. So looking at the Dallas Cowboys, looking that they've lost Amari Cooper, lost Randy Gregory, a big piece on offense and defense, didn't do a good job of replacing them. Zeke on a downward trend in Tony Pollard is not a respectable uh, running back. I think he's a good running back, but he's not a game-changing running back. I think Mike McCarthy gets in his own way. So – I would probably have the Cowboys at 11. 
but they do not make my top 10, but just an honorable mention. Uh, but number 10 is the Green Bay Packers. I'm not sold on the Green Bay Packers like everybody else anymore. I'm just not. I know so many analysts are still picking the Packers to win the NFC, go to the Super Bowl. And I just think how disillusioned, how disattached from society are you to keep on saying year in and year out that the Green Bay Packers are going to win the NFC and win the Super Bowl? Because it ain't happening in this universe. Maybe in the multiverse, in another universe, it's happening. But I feel like every year after the season, uh, like Men in Black, how they have those little flash pens, races your recent memory. That's what I feel happens with the Green Bay Packers. It's, you know, they lose, you know, disappointing playoff fashion. And everybody picks on them and says, you know, they're just not the team. Why are we even talking about them? They do the flash pen. And everybody's like, oh, Packers are still the best team in the NFC. I'm just not sold. I'm not sold on Green Bay. I have respect for Aaron Rodgers and how great of a quarterback he is. But I'm not sold on the rest of the team. I think the run game can be good. A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, offensive line. But I look at the weapons of this team compared to the weapons of other top teams in the league. And their weapons aren't there. Uh, I know. You know, they drafted a wide receiver in the second round, uh, I believe Christian Walker. But that's not a first-round pick. That's not a Drake London, a Chris Olave, a Garrett Wilson. That's not that guy. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he's going to develop a quick, you know, amazing relationship with him like he had with Devontae. Because even that took time over years. Devontae wasn't great as rookie second year. It took time, and older quarterbacks like veteran pieces. We see that with Tom and Gronk and um, what's his name, uh, Mike Evans. You know, we see that with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. Uh, we saw Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. You know, we saw Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, and you might say, well, that was like a rookie group. Well, they played in college together. They had the build up there. Uh, and I think only special wide receivers, you know, first-round picks, like maybe a Justin Jefferson, high grade on him out of LSU, which is why he's been good with Kirk Cousins. But Christian Walker is not that guy. They don't have great wide receiver depth. I'm worried there. And then on defense, they're a good defense, but they falter at times. They're not consistent as well. So I'm not sold on this defense shutting down special teams. Absolute disaster last year. I know they hired Bisaccio to figure it out, but I don't think Matt LaFleur is that guy, and I'm not sold on the Packers. I don't know how many more losses it's going to take for people to realize that the Packers this year are not winning the NFC. They're not making it to the Super Bowl. It will not happen with this iteration of the Green Bay Packers. That's why they're number 10 on my list. I'm not sold on this team, and I'm not convinced. They've convinced me that they can't be trusted and that they don't show up in the playoffs, so that's why they are sitting here at number 10. Number 9, the Baltimore Ravens. Why? Coach I respect a lot in John Harbaugh. Uh, you know, season last year mired by injury. Uh, 
and then also a lot of uncharistic uh, and just excessive two-point conversion attempts, which all did not go your way, and you lost five of your last, you know, six games due to the two-point conversion or losing by one score. So that's not a good look, but I think Baltimore is going to be healthier this year with, you know, Lamar Jackson back, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey. To me, they had the best draft uh, as well, drafting Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum, David Ojabo, great draft. And because they finished as the worst team in their division last year, they also have an easy schedule. They do. I'm sorry. Uh, I know their division's tough with the Bengals and the Browns and stuff like that. And I know they have, you know, out of conference, uh, you know, when they play the NFC, they face tougher teams, the Saints, Bucks. But when I look at it, the rest of it, you know, playing the Dolphins, the Jets, you know, the Giants, you know, some of the worst teams in the AFC uh, and even in the NFC, you know, props to them because much more daunting than Cincinnati's schedule this year and other top teams. Number eight, another member of the coin flip teams, the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I love Kyle Shanahan and the offense that he runs, but there's two big question marks there that are coin flip that's determining this season is one, the quarterback, who's starting? Is it Trey Lance? There was reports that they are underwhelmed by him. Is that why they're keeping Jimmy G? But if you keep Jimmy G and he does well, that means you're not going to start Trey Lance, which means... You're not going to have, you're not going to trade Jimmy G and get anything for him and he'll walk in free agency. So San Francisco 49ers are on the clock right now in a losing situation. And then the other thing is Debo Samuel. What's happening with him? I think he's going to return, but does he not want to be used as that wide back role that he proclaimed? Only a wide receiver that diminishes his value and the production of the team as well. So this offense has some question marks. I think this defense is stout with Jones and Key and Nick Bosa, Armstead, Fred Warner. Uh think that front seven is locked and loaded. They address the safeties and cornerbacks as well throughout the draft and free agency. So, you know, a little bit more depth there, which I like. But really, who knows what we're going to get out of this offense this year. I'll trust Kyle Shanahan because he's an offensive genius, offensive guru. But there are still question marks from this team. Time for my next year. AFC West loaded. Number seven, the Los Angeles Chargers. Biggest question mark around them is their coach and Brandon Staley if he's going to screw it up again like he did this past year. But management is doing wonders for him. For him. Uh, good draft, drafted offensive lineman. Uh, to further protect Justin Herbert, who's a star. They got Austin Eckler, another star, you know, you know, they have him, they're running back. They have Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Herbert likes both of those. And then on defense, they had Joey Bosa, but you go out and get Khalil Mack. You go out and get JC Jackson. You already got Derwin James. So his defense, the manager, you know, management loading up for Brandon Staley. It's up to Staley to take him to the promised land, and he just hasn't been able to do that. He's fallen short because of his aggressive analytics coaching and him getting in his own way, which is why he's the Chargers are at seven and not any higher. 
because at six, there's a team that I trust more. Maybe if the talent is in favor of the Chargers, and at number six, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Give me Patrick Mahomes over Justin Herbert, but give me the weapons of Justin Herbert over Patrick Mahomes. Probably right now, even give me the defense as well, because the Kansas City Chiefs, it's a young defense. They let Tyron Matthew walk, uh, sign Justin Reed, who's a downgrade there, you know, drafted McDuffie to replace Ward. We'll see how long that takes to get going. But I do trust the coach more. Andy Reed has proven himself in this league, is a great coach, Hall of Fame coach, and is levels above Brandon Staley. So I'll keep the Chiefs here at number six, even though there are questions around, like the Packers, the talent. I know they signed Juju Smith-Schuster. They drafted Sky Moore, but they don't have a Tyree kill. Uh, Travis Kelsey is always great. Uh, but we'll see now because they don't have anybody to take the top off of a defense uh, like Tyreek Hill used to do. Number five, the Denver Broncos. To me, the team who improved by far the most throughout the draft, throughout free agency, throughout this whole process, this whole offseason, it's been the Denver Broncos who ascended from a sub-500, 500 team to a, you know, plus 500 team that could impossibly win this division. Russell Wilson, big move to go get him. They had the weapons there in place, the Tim Patrick, uh, the Nolan, the Jerry Judy. Uh, They got the guys, drafted some offensive linemen to help Russell out as well. Uh, Melvin Gordon in the backfield, uh, Javante Williams as well. And then defense, you got Bradley Chubb, you got Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons. Uh, So a good uh, defense as well, good pass defense. So this Broncos team is not a team I'm sleeping on. I'm very high on the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson and how he can air that ball out at Mile High Stadium. Uh, I think that's going to be fun to watch, and that's why when I did my schedule reveal and release, Special last week, I was excited for every AFC West matchup because we're AFC West loaded. Now time to go to the next tier. Super Bowl contenders. Number four, the Los Angeles Rams. Why are they number four? You know, not number one if they're the defending champs. They have the hardest schedule in the NFL. It is a brutal schedule that the Rams face, and I look at it, and I'm worried that, you know, wow, it's rough. I mean, they do have a couple games at home, but some of those tough ones are away. It's balanced. It's tough, you know, for a guy like Matthew Stafford, who last year feasted on easy teams in the regular season and had a very tough time against the tougher teams in the regular season. Now that he's facing, you know, has the hardest schedule facing tougher teams. Competition is going to go up the Rams. Matthew Stafford led the league with 17 interceptions last year, like four pick sixes. He could easily replicate that in this schedule. Uh, to me, right last year, regular season, he was too inconsistent, but they had an easier schedule to make up for it. This year, that's not the case. He can't be that inconsistent with the schedule that they have with the games that are going to be closer. 
You're not playing the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. I'm sorry, Matthew Stafford. Uh, so that troubles me, even though him and Cooper Cup have been great. Allen Robinson is still there. I'm worried about their pass protection. Andrew Whitworth gone and their other right guard is gone. I know they replaced those through the draft and other guys that they've re-signed. Uh, but those are two big pieces and what was a historically great pass protection offensive line. And then on defense, is Aaron Donald disgruntled? Uh, Jalen Ramsey is not cornerback number one anymore. I'm sorry for anybody who needs to hear this, but I've not seen a man get torched so many times in my life and still talk trash and think he's the best. Uh, that would never happen to Prime Richard Sherman, uh, Darrell Revis. I'm sorry. Those are the guys I watch that legit shut people down. You know, Darrell Revis was Revis Island. Richard Sherman locked down everybody. He faced Megatron, you know, Calvin Johnson Jr., and he said he was going to be Optimus Prime that day. And he was. He was the one, you know, telling Brady, you mad, bro. So, you know, those were the cornerbacks I watched not, you know, Jalen Ramsey get burned by T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Debo and Jawan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk and about every guy known to man. Uh, so no longer cornerback one. Uh, safeties as well. Uh, you know, they had Eric Weddle there because Taylor Rapp got injured. So the health of this secondary of this team, there are some question marks there. And then just the fact that it's tough to repeat and that the injury bug can bite, come back to bite you. We saw that with the Bucks. And, you know, this year, try to defend their title, and it's a hard thing to do in the NFL. Number three, the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals drafted their, or addressed their biggest weakness, which was their uh, offensive line signing a new center, Ted Karras from uh, the Patriots, you know, poached guard Alex Kappa from a Bucks and stole Lyle Collins from uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So that was their biggest need to me. The most explosive offense could be the best offense this year, led by Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, who's a thousand-yard running back, and then they have a thousand-yard wide receivers and T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, uh, Jamar Chase, and then this defense improved that through the draft. Their safeties. Uh, you know, now got Dax Hill. Uh, they got Jesse Bates and um, uh, now the other one escaped my name, but they got decent guys. They got uh, Owuzie uh, back there is a good cornerback. So this team is good. To me, they're favorites to win the AFC North, but much like the Rams, uh, they have another difficult schedule. Not only is their division difficult, but they're out of uh, division games are brutal as well, just like the Rams. I think to me, they, I don't know if it was, if they had the second hardest schedule, but it definitely is top three, top five in terms of difficulty uh, that the Bengals have. Now time to go to my Super Bowl favorites, my top two teams. Number two, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, number two. Don't have no question mark at quarterback. They got the GOAT. Tom Brady back there. They re-signed Leonard Fournette. They still got Mike Evans. Chris Godwin should be healed by the time October, November hit comes around uh, to Pear Bear. They got Russell Gage, uh, drafted a couple tight ends. I believe Rob Gronkowski will be back. Offensive line is still good with Tristan Wirfs, best right tackle. Ryan Jensen, best center. Uh, I know Kappa left, 
but be traded for Shaq Mason. Aaron Stenny, I think, can be an admirable piece for uh, Marpet, who did retire uh, to me, you know, and then they also did ad- address that in the draft as well. They addressed the defensive line because who knows if Sue will return, uh, but that was a big piece. They re-signed Carlton Davis, signed some new safeties, Logan Ryan, because Whitehead left to pair with Winfield. So the Buccaneers addressed everything. I think they upgraded a coach in Todd Bowles as well, who's much more of a leader. I think this offense with Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady will be even more in sync this year than it was the past couple of years. And that might seem impossible, but I think without the shroud of Bruce Arians there, I think this offense is going to be really good, operate at the highest level of efficiency with Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich again. The schedule that the Bucks have is difficult, top five in terms of difficulty, but I like it because a lot of those tough games that the Bucks play, they're all at home. So, and there's a clear home field advantage there was last year in Tampa, uh, only losing two games, one in the regular season to the Saints, and then one in the postseason, of course, to the Rams. And then my number one team, the Buffalo Bills. Improved the team this year, you know, could have easily beat the Chiefs in the postseason last year and gone on to go to the Super Bowl. Josh Allen is a quarterback I have mad respect for. Uh, and then through the draft and the free agency, you know, acquired another uh, running back, Dalvin Cook's brother, James Cook, who I think this could be a real good running back for them. They have Stefan Diggs on the roster. Gabriel Davis emerged is a good wide receiver for um, Josh Allen to distribute the ball to as well. And then on defense, Tredavious White will be back. They drafted Kyrie William Elam, another cornerback, added Von Miller on this defensive line. So the Bills aren't going away. And, of course, they have all pro safeties on Micah Poyer or Micah Hyde and uh, Poyer is with Jordan Poyer. So this team's really good. And they don't have as tough as a schedule as the other teams. I just mentioned they have one of the easiest divisions. Uh, you could easily go 6-0. and And then, again, some of their tough games are at home as well. Uh, and they just have an easier schedule. So, to me, things are looking good for the Buffalo Bills to make a run, to go to the Super Bowl. To me, anything short of a Super Bowl this year with the Buffalo Bills would be an extreme uh, disappointment. Um, they need to make it to the Super Bowl this year. Now moving on to the NBA. Yesterday and game six, the Bucks lost back-to-back games. They lost a closeout game to Boston and then yesterday got annihilated by Boston in a game seven. Game six, they should have had Giannis with a 40-piece. was great, but nobody came along to help. You know, he needed to replicate that in yesterday's game, and the team would need to come along to help, and they just did not. Um, Boston was a better team yesterday, even though Giannis was a better player. Um, Boston was inefficient from the field, 42%, but from the three, 40%. 22 threes they hit yesterday, led the way by Grant Williams, 7 of 18, 27 points when Grant Williams 
is your leading scorer and the rest of your team's playing good with Jalen Brown, with Jason Tatum, you're going to have a good day. You're going to have a good day. And when you're the Bucks and you have the worst three-point shooting percentage in a Game 7 in history, you're probably going to lose that when you shoot four of 33 and 12%, 37% from a field. That can't happen. Giannis wasn't efficient yesterday, but still got 25 points. Brooks Lopez, 15. But this team yesterday could not make three-point shots. I'm sorry, but Giannis and Brooks Lopez, you two big men, can't have half of that. One and one. Uh, and then Bobby Portis had your other two. I'm sorry, but Pat Connaughton, you're supposed to be a big knockdown shot guy. You played 32 minutes yesterday, 1 of 6 from a field, 0 of 5 from 3. You, they got to do better. Grayson Allen, 0 of 6 from a field, 0 of 4 from 3. That can't happen. Wesley Matthews didn't make a three-point shot. Drew Holiday didn't make a three-point shot, even though he had 21 points. So Giannis was all alone in the series. It proved that they needed Chris Middleton. They need him back healthy. So for the Bucks to get back to being the champions, they have just been dethroned. But the Bucks need Chris Middleton, and they need a more consistent shooting bench. This is a team that's definitely going into the luxury tax, is paying to win. And I think you move on from an aging Brooks Lopez who had injuries. I think you keep Drew and Chris Middleton. But you move on from Wesley Matthews. And, hey, I'd even move on from Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton as well. I know Pat Connaughton's a favorite there in Milwaukee. But I'd keep Bobby Portis over him because of his length and size. Uh, And I'd just try to find more reliable three-point shooters on the market. That's all you do. Because if Giannis is there, Giannis attracts a lot of attention. When he's running in, you know, to the wall that the Celtics set up and he kicks it out to you and you have a wide-open look, you've got to make it. Grayson Allen, Connaughton, wide-open looks. And when you continually miss shots in back-to-back games, it hurts you. It hurts your team. That's why the Bucks lost. Um, but I'll give Celtics credit because they did the same thing. They penetrated uh, into the paint, and then they kicked out. But they made their shots. They did. Uh, like I said, 22 of 55. This was a team that shot more three-pointers than two-pointers in this series. And it paid off for them. It worked. Um, and they won uh, this series, you know, even though being out-rebounded, you know, turning the ball over more. You know, they were just the better team. I can't believe it. Um, you know, a 109-81, a 28-point win. I'll do it for you, but I'll give the Celtics a lot of credit because they knocked off Kevin Durant, who a lot of people think is the best player on the planet, and they just knocked off Giannis, who I think is the best player on the planet, who, you know, two-time MVP, finals MVP, champion last year. The Celtics beat the Bucks. They beat the Nets in back-to-back rounds. I give the Celtics, you know, a lot of credit for that one and for winning this series. Then another Game 7 yesterday, and the Mavericks, you know, snapped all the stones yesterday and just dusted the Phoenix Suns. It was an embarrassment from early on of the highest order. Highest, unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, 
that in the first half alone, the Mavericks were up by 30, and Luka by himself had as much points as the Suns did in totality at halftime. Embarrassment. The Suns can't score 10 points in a quarter uh, in the second quarter. I was shocked by this. I was. I thought the Mavs had a legit chance, you know, you know, I said Suns in seven, but this game seven, I said I'm giving Phoenix a 51 to 49 slimmest that you could because Luka is that guy. We all know he's that guy, especially in elimination games. And the Suns didn't show up. The Suns did not show up to this game. I don't know how you don't show up to a Game 7, uh, pumped and amped, uh, but they were a no-show. They got ran out of the building. They were booed at halftime. Jay Crowder was abysmal. Mikhail Bridges abysmal. DeAndre Aiden only played 17 minutes. Clearly something going on there. Uh, Monty Williams said it was internal reasons. Chris Paul, again, terrible. 10 points. Uh, and, you know... Four assists was not good. Devin Booker, minus 41, 11 points. Didn't make a 3, 0 of 4, uh, 3 of 14 from the field. Their two stars were outplayed by one star of the Dallas Mavericks. And then Cam Johnson, of course, led the team in points, 12 points off a of bench. But that's only because he played a lot of garbage time in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the Suns should be ashamed of themselves that they performed this badly. I know Game 7s are different, but this was a team that went to the NBA Finals last last year. And to lose in a fashion like that, at least the Bucks game, even though the end result was a blowout, it was a five-point game at halftime. This was a 30-point game at halftime. Luka was smiling all game long up and down the court as he was hitting shot after shot, 12 of 19 from the field, 6 of 11 from three, made all his free throws, 35 points, 10 rebounds, Four assists. I mean, guy was balling yesterday. Jalen Brunson, balling yesterday. Spencer Dinwiddie finally decided to wake up as well for 30 points. So two plays with 30 points, another with 24. Uh, the big three there carried the Mavericks against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they were bullied all night. You know, the Mavericks, perfect in the, on the charity strike, made every single free throw. 100% to the Suns, 66. Three-point shooting, Mavericks were almost at 50%, and they shot 57 from the field. I mean, the Mavericks were up by one point by 46 and never trailed in this game. It was complete domination. Credit to Jason Kidd for firing this team up, for calling out Luka on the defensive end, because it showed up. This team was much better from games three to seven than they were one and two. Congratulations to the Dallas Mavericks and put it on a great series. But what's next for the Suns? You had the best record in the NFL by eight games over the Grizzlies, 11 over the Mavs or the Heat. You know, you were, this was a team, you know, that looked better. But what happened? Was it the curse of having the best record? Like I said, it's usually not the best thing to have. That could be the case. 
Another thing is Chris Paul showing his age, who man who said he was addicted to the finals. It was funny. You know, last year said he's addicted to being going to the finals after, you know, his first time. And everybody on the Internet was saying that I'm glad, you know, he ended his addiction uh, this early. Because he's most likely a one and done in the NBA finals. But if I'm the Suns, I pay my role players. Uh, whatever Devin Booker wants, I might give it. This game definitely hurts his contract value. I look at this one. But I probably Mikael Bridges, who's a uh, pay Mikael Bridges, who's a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, you know, I'd probably like guys like Jay Crowder, Walk, find other three and D guys. And this is what I'd really do. I would trade CP3 and do a sign and trade with DeAndre Aiden. Uh, these are the reasons why. Chris Paul, 37 years old, he ain't getting any younger, ain't getting any better. Uh, there are other point guards out there that maybe are not in terms of playmaking like Chris Paul, but there are better shooters out there. And DeAndre Aiden, uh, he gets targeted. Luka was headhunting Aiden early in this game, making shots over him. He's a liability on the perimeter for defense. We saw what Giannis did to him last year as well. To me, he's soft, you know, as a defender. You know, offense is there, but I'm sorry. His defense isn't there. I do a sign and trade. This is what I do if I was the Phoenix Suns. I would trade with knowing the situation of the Lakers. I would do a sign and trade Aiden and Chris Paul and multiple draft picks, three or four, for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, hear me out why both teams would accept this. Let's say if it's, you know, three or four draft picks, if it's the signs. This works out for the, uh, what's it called? This works out for the Lakers because they get LeBron off. The books, you know, they take in Chris Paul's contract, they take in DeAndre Ayton's contract, but Ayton is younger than Anthony Davis, and he's much healthier than Anthony Davis as well. Uh, and you might not even pay him the same amount as AD, so it might be a little cheaper as well. Uh, and you get draft picks. Let's say it's three or four beds. That's building blocks for the next team. You can dump off Russ and, you know, at least have a vision especially with all the turmoil right now with L.A., it seems like a smart move. And then on the Suns side, it makes sense because you're going all in on a championship now uh, while also not crazy extending yourself. Let's say it's three or four draft picks. LeBron James can run the point like Chris Paul can. To me, he's a better playmaker. And Devin Booker can run it as well. He can get his own shot. And then... You have AD placing Aiden. I know you're banking on that, but let's say he's not fully healthy. He plays half a season. To me, in that half season, but it stretches that he plays, he can be more dominant than Aiden. And this is a team that's going to win, So, and it's still young. So it's great because it's not like the Lakers who have an old roster. This is a team in Phoenix who has a younger roster. You've got Mikhail Bridges, uh, Devin Booker. You know, AD is relatively young. Uh, Cam Johnson is young. So Cameron Payne. Shamit, so a much younger team and cast around the Phoenix Suns. LeBron would be your oldest player, but he's still a top five player in this league who had 30 points a game. So if I'm the Suns, I'm exploring options. 
uh, right now. And I think, you know, those draft picks are not ones that you care about and are looking uh, to build because, uh, you know, you get LeBron guaranteed there uh, as well. You try to risk sign him maybe another year until Bronny enters, you know, the league and then you leave from there. But I think if they were to trade for LeBron, the Suns could win a championship with LeBron in the next two years. That's just my crazy trade idea. Now we have the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals. Eastern Conference is Celtics and Heat. And I'm going with the Heat. I'm going Heat in seven. Uh, I'm going with the Heat, you know, over the Celtics. uh, Because this is a team that matches up well. Uh, The depth of the Heat, depth of the Celtics, there's a reason why these two teams are the top two teams. In the NBA, uh, Jimmy Butler can match up. And to me, you know, Boston's defense is great. Miami's defense is great. This is going to be a slugfest. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry should be back healthy. You know, winning their series against the Sixers early. Um, Bam Adebayo as well will be the best big man on the floor. Then you got some shooters in Struz, Vincent, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Uh, this team is very well balanced. I like the coach more as well, Eric Spolstra. You know, but the Celtics guys can match, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Robert Williams should be back healthy. Grant Williams showed you what he can do. So this is going to be a fun series. It's going to be entertaining. I think it's going to seven games. But in the end, I got Heat in seven. I think Jimmy Butler's on a mission. Uh, he wants to prove he's a superstar to me. He is a superstar, but I think he's looking for that ring. Uh, he ain't getting any younger either, uh, but he his play has not dropped off. I think this is the time for Miami. I think they beat Boston in the series. Then next, the Mavericks and the Warriors. You know, I picked Grizzlies to beat... Uh, the Warriors make it to the finals, so my prediction of Bucks Grizz, that ain't happening. And I thought the Suns had a good, were going to have a great shot against the Warriors if uh, they beat the Mavericks. But they didn't. But the way the Mavericks looked, I'm giving them a legitimate shot against the Golden State Warriors. Why? Because the Warriors shooting in the playoffs hasn't particularly been great, especially against the Grizz. You know, Steph was not great. Clay was not great. Uh, Jordan Poole was not great. They also turned the ball over at a high clip. And this is going to be an offensive showdown, Luka and Steph. But I look at the Mavericks, you know, uh, you know, earlier this year, you know, Warriors had a tough time with the Mavericks. Uh, you know, Mavericks beat the Warriors. In Dallas, and then I believe in, uh, you know, February, the Warriors were up 19 at halftime. Uh, Warriors or Mavericks come back and win that game. So we, I just seen this with the Mavericks, especially this series. I think Luka Doncic took another step, cementing his name, being a superstar. He took that next step, beating the Phoenix Suns. I'm giving the Mavs a shot to win the series, and I think they do win the series. I think the Mavs win in six, 
you know, I think they just got over the hump. And I think they are going to beat the Golden State Warriors. Now, the Golden State Warriors can easily beat the Mavericks if all their shooters are shooting lights out. I just don't know if they are, if they will, the consistency there. I like Dallas, and this just feels like a team that is poised to make a run to the Western or to the NBA Finals. I like the Dallas Mavericks to win this series, led by Luka Doncic. Now moving to the NHL. The Maple Leafs lose yet another Game 7, lose another home playoff series, a Game 7 at home, this time to the Tampa Bay Lightning, down early in the period, early in the game. Second period, they score, they give it back up right away, and they just could not uh, tie up the game. You know, Tampa Bay shooting their shots, but Andre Vasilevsky, brilliant, 30 saves uh, as well. I mean, Tampa or Toronto did everything they could. We're putting sh- uh, shots on the net, was more physical. They were winning the faceoffs as well, had the power plays, but they just could not convert on those power plays. And Tampa Bay did the, you know, the dirty work, you know, were blocking shots. They had 26 of block shots. Uh, they knew what it did to take a game seven. Uh, bodies were flying everywhere. Uh, but the Maple Leafs, yet again, have not won a playoff series since 2004. Time is ticking on this team, on this group together. Uh, who knows how much longer uh, this team, this iteration of the Toronto Maple Leafs, will even last with Austin Matthews, Tavares, uh, Marner, and such, because it does not, you know, look good right now losing another series in which Austin Matthews had a tremendous year and led Toronto to the two-seed in the Atlantic Conference. Even my Penguins lose a Game 7 yesterday, choke away a 3-1 series lead. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go off on the refs or anything like I could. To me, the biggest change of momentum, the biggest thing I'm still upset about is the fact that, the fact that there was no discipline on Truba. In Game 5, the Penguins are in control, up 2-0. Crosby gets injured. The Rangers score three quick goals. My team ties it up, 3-3, but the momentum was already clearly on the Rangers' side. They win that game. They win game six, same fashion. Crosby's not playing. And then yesterday, game four, Crosby plays, Jari plays. Uh, They have the lead, you know, 2-1, 3-2. And in all four losses to the Rangers in this postseason, they do not score one goal in the fourth period. Uh, It's terrible. I mean, I've seen the the Penguins in my, you know, the past 13 years. They've, you know, won three Stanley Cups. Great team, 16 playoff appearances. But in that same time span, we've also choked 3-1 leads three times. Once to the Rangers, or twice to the Rangers now, but once 2014 to the Rangers, they were up 3-1. Year after, Lightning up 3-1. 
that was the you know end basically of Dan Bilesma. Now Mike Sullivan's done it. You know the Penguins uh, had never lost a road game, a like game seven uh, before. They were six and zero. Mike Sullivan perfect in game sevens, and now he lost this one. He's choked a three-one series lead. This one stings and hurts uh, because they were so dominant on the Rangers pretty much this whole series. I was worried this series because of how good Igor was. But Pittsburgh Pittsburgh made Igor look like just a regular average goalie. Uh, It was, you know, my defense and goalie that was worse of this whole series. Uh, But the, you know, worst part to me was I thought overtime – I could do it, you know, bad penalty there in overtime. Panarin scores in. But worst thing to me is the penalty is about to expire. There's nine seconds left, and the team is pressuring Panarin. And all of a sudden, you know, Panarin's, you know, has the puck, and the team's pressuring him, and he looks lost, and there's like eight seconds left. Then they back off and just let him shoot a shot, and he scores. And I thought, I was saying, you know, well, why aren't, why aren't you pressuring him anymore? And right after that, they score, it's over, and it's just a story I've seen before with these Penguins. These Penguins that have championship DNA in them also have 3-1 series choke jobs in them. Uh, it's embarrassing. Uh, because of that, this is the end of Malkin with the Penguins, hopefully. Uh, most of the series, he has looked disengaged. It's time to move on from him. Get younger. It's nice because I know there's expiring contracts on the Penguins, but you move on from Malkin. You got thirty million dollars. You sign younger teams. You get younger. I think you can resign Latang at a lower price. Uh, you sign Rust. I mean Crosby is still a playmaker and still the best player in the world, uh, but the team around him needs to get younger. And Malkin, I've said, is needed to go for quite some time now. Uh, I think management is finally going to move on from him, and it is going to be from a better of a team. If I was management, you know, I would have traded him long ago because I really don't want to see him go to a rival, you know, like the Islanders or the Hurricanes or something, and just score goals on me and be like, oh, thanks. It's kind of what I wanted you to do for the past couple of years, but you can do it to me now. So uh, I think management handled the Malkin situation wrong. I don't want to see him back with the team, but I still think the Penguins have a championship window. I know people write them off every year and say they're not making the playoffs and they battle through injuries and they make the playoffs. Uh, But this one is disappointing. It hurts because, you know, Crosby and these guys aren't getting any younger. Then other NHL news, the Golden Knights Dismiss, fire, Peter DeBoer, whatever you want to say after failing to make the playoffs for the first time ever. And, you know, it's about time you fire the guy. I didn't think Marc-Andre Fleury was a problem. Uh, Obviously, it was Peter DeBoer or Pete DeBoer. So he's gone, which is good. Uh, I think this will help out the Golden Knights because he wasn't a top-tier coach. He's always been kind of a loser to me. Uh, So that the Golden Knights finally fired him. Uh, I think it shifts and says, hey, we're not, we don't want to lose. Uh, we don't want to miss the playoffs. We have a good team. We spend money, and the coach can't be doing that. So smart move there by the Golden Knights. I think it's a season long overdue. 
But now we got new NHL matchups. The first is the Lightning and the Panthers. Rematch of the first round from last year. Very physical series. But I think the Panthers got better this year. I'm rolling with the Panthers. I'm nervous because this is just what the Lightning do. The Lightning benefit from this terrible uh, bracket that the NHL playoffs do. But I'm rolling with the Panthers. I think Panthers in seven. But I'm very nervous about this one. Blues Avalanche. Rolling with the Avalanche. I thought the Wild would match up tougher with the Avalanche. But the Blues surprisingly win. But the Avalanche has too much firepower, especially if Kemper comes back healthy, which it looks like he will after taking that stick to the eye. Uh, Avalanche are too deep from top to bottom. Uh, Blues have no shot against the Avalanche, unless Bennington has his 2019 run in him again. Rangers and Hurricanes. Of course, I'm rolling with the Hurricanes. Rangers knock me off. They're a bunch of jerks. I'll take the Hurricanes. Gives me Ajo, uh, Smeshnikov. Uh, you know, Ranta has been good in that as well for the Hurricanes. Uh, the defense, you know, I picked the Bruins over the Hurricanes, but the Hurricanes showed grit, you know, to hang in there with a tough Boston team and beat them like they did. Uh, I'm rolling with Carolina. And then Oilers and Flames, the battle for Alberta. I'm going with the Flames. Uh, the Oilers barely squeaked past the old Kings. Uh, Flames, I know as well, uh, can't get as close right there as they did, you know, went in game seven yesterday against the Dallas Stars. Um, but I think the Flames uh, were a better team all year. Johnny Goodrow uh, has played fantastic. Kachuk hasn't woke up in the series, uh, but the Flames win. This has been Unbothered with Josh Morani. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.